Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. One of the challenges of traveling is managing your money. If you're tired of getting crushed by bank fees and exchange rates, you need to check out wise.com. I have been a customer for over 10 years. This is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. It's been essential for me first as a traveler, then later as a digital nomad and an expat living abroad, running a business from around the world. You get one account, which allows you to send, spend, and convert money internationally, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. You can join 16 million customers, learn how the Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. Here's a good question to ask yourself every now and again, maybe every day. Is there anything I am taking at face value? What I mean by that is, is there any institution, organization, decision, uh, life choice that you're just taking at face value and making a lot of assumptions about without actually thinking about maybe what some of the other perspectives are around that and opening up your mind to some different ideas Today's interview is a great reminder to question everything, really. And in this chat that you're going to hear in just a short bit, we talk about a lot of things, including alternative education. Uh, Even if you don't have kids, there's going to be some great stuff in here for you. Maybe you'll have kids one day and you want to listen up, but also as travelers out there in the world learning. I think we're all getting some kind of education when we travel. It's one of the big perks of travel. I think that's one of the reasons a lot of people love it. You have a curiosity around the world. You want to go learn. So we do talk about alternative education. We get some advice around making an impact on the world with your work. Why making things an adventure for yourself is so important. Why there are no hidden gem destinations, according to my guest. How the quote-unquote moment of a place determines your travel experience, the magic of just sticking around long enough and doing something long enough to make things happen, why that can be such a great strategy, maybe a long-term strategy, and so much more. It's all happening in this interview. It might make you question everything all over again. Certainly got my mind going in that direction, and I can talk a little bit about that during the show. But without further ado, we should probably get into it. Maybe you should Cue up your favorite beverage. I don't know. Make yourself a coffee, a tea, grab a beer, or grab a sip of water. If you're running, keep those legs pumping. Whatever you're doing, keep rocking on. I know you're going to love this show. Let's get into it. Thanks for being here, and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks so much for being here, hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. 
This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. And there's nothing I enjoy more to do to start a day than to turn on this microphone, get the smell of spring flowers outside here in Norway, and talk to you get to hang out. So thanks again for being here. I want to say also thank you to everybody who's reached out via email recently or left any reviews on the podcast. Thank you so much. It's always wonderful to hear from you out there in the listening community. Hey, this is a community-powered show. You all know that. Hit me up anytime if you have any guest recommendations or you just want to say hi. Jason at zerototravel.com is my email address. I'm going to highlight and give a shout out to a couple of you in this global caravan, the listening community, a little bit later in the show. First, I've got a wonderful conversation to share with you today with my buddy Blake, who, like a lot of the guests, or I'd say all of the guests on this show, opened my mind up again to various perspectives. And selfishly, one of the biggest things that I've gotten out of just having this podcast as the host, and I'm sure you feel the same if you've listened to uh, some of the shows is just getting new perspectives from other people who have lived a different life, have different experiences, and have a different way of seeing things and expertise in something that I don't have. And as I get to have these conversations weekly, my mind just is kind of always blown, always opened up to new ideas and perspective. And now at this point, I think it's become a bit of a habit to start questioning things and to try to see things from different perspectives and you know, these conversations or listening to these conversations like you are as a listener, if you know you listen to podcasts, you you know that does that for you. That's one of the, the best things about, I think, taking in um, podcasts and, and good food for your brain like this when you get to hear from somebody who has a different life experience and something else to share that makes you think in a different way. And my guest certainly has done that today. He's an expert in alternative education. And I think the school system, if you think about it, at least in the US, uh, maybe in other places around the world, you kind of take it at face value. You can, right? It's like, oh, okay, well, school's the best option for kids. You send your kids to school and that's the best way for them to learn. But as I have been a host of this podcast and I've talked to a lot of people who are traveling with kids and doing things like unschooling and world schooling. And I think about my alternative education, my own personal experience uh, traveling and what I've learned. And maybe that wasn't a, a, a curriculum per se, but I've certainly learned so much about myself and about the world just from being out in it. And that is education, right? So some of these institutions that we kind of take at face value take uh, as as the sort of hey this is this is the thing you do and and maybe for you this is different maybe you're not sending kids to school but you are thinking about going to college and you're just taking it at face value you're saying okay well like yeah college is the thing i'm supposed to do that's certainly what i did when i uh, went to college i was just yeah you go to college uh, after high school that was just kind of what I thought you were supposed to do. Gap year wasn't really a, a thing in the States, at least when I was uh, growing up. And uh, it wasn't something that was talked about, taking time off to travel, at least in, in my culture and, and my surroundings. So 
I took that at face value. I didn't even think, step back to think, hey, is this the right thing for me? Is this the thing that I really need to be doing right now? And you can apply this, of course, to any aspect of your life. Maybe it's a job you have now or something else. The point is, I think it's a good idea to question everything. And it doesn't mean you have to be aggressive about it, but why not? Questioning things is, a, is, is not a bad exercise at all. And those things that we can take at face value, I think, are the ones that are hardest to question because we just kind of have a lot of assumptions about them. So that's why I mentioned that question at the top of the show. If, you, if there's anything you're taking at face value right now, just consider asking a few questions about it. Maybe you land in the same space mentally, your, your, your idea around that. Maybe not. Who knows? But it's good to be aware of these things. Anyway, just wanted to share a little bit around that idea before we get into the interview, which we're going to slip and slide into now. And you heard all the stuff we're going to talk about at the top of the show. Yes, education. Yes, public schools and things like that. But even if you don't have kids or you're not going to have kids, there's still going to be some good stuff in here for you. So I hope you stick around for the interview and enjoy it. And before we get into it, one last thing. If you haven't signed up over at ZeroToTravel.com, what are you waiting for? I got some exclusive audio I'm giving out right now. Three best ways to save money for travel. You can pick that up when you sign up and, of course, join our newsletter. Got a lot of cool stuff I'm announcing all the time. We've got uh, some workshops coming up around location independence. We just launched a new course called the Lifestyle Launch Academy. So if you're somebody who is not quite sure what you want to do, but you know you want to have more freedom to travel and you don't want to work a nine-to-five job anymore uh, or a regular gig and you want to have that location-independent lifestyle, we can help you do that. So you're going to get some links and some helpful free videos that we're putting together around that. Uh, There's a lot of stuff. If you just sign up over at zerototravel.com, you can get this stuff. You can get whatever you want or not get whatever you want or just stick around for the newsletter. Either way, you'll be a part of the community and you can keep in touch off the podcast as well. Come to our Zoom online events and different things like that. So sign up over there. If you've been putting it off, you can hit pause now and do it. Look forward to welcoming you in in to uh, the community there as well. Now, let's get into this interview. Thanks for being here, and I will see you on the other side, my friend. My guest today is an advocate for alternative education. He's authored several books, including a new one called Why Are You Still Sending Your Kids to School?, which makes the case for helping kids leave school, chart their own paths, and prepare for adulthood at their own pace. You can learn more about him at blakebowles.com. He's been on the podcast before. We are going to talk travel. We're not just going to talk alternative education, but we have plenty to cover today. So Blake, welcome back to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. So good to be back on your podcast. Oh, man. I've been waiting for it. Like I love kind of keeping in touch with you on social media. And we were both... Are you still based in Boulder or... Colorado. No, that was a long time ago. I've been all over the world since then. So I'm not based anywhere at the moment. Okay. Yeah. Because you run trips uh, all around the world for teens, correct? Through your other organization. You want to talk about that really quick, just so people know what it is that you do? 
Yeah, I've run a small travel company since 2008 called Unschool Adventures, and I've had the pleasure of uh, designing and leading trips anywhere in the world that I feel like going with groups of very cool teenagers who have chosen not to go to conventional school. And that's been my main self-employment gig for quite a while. I'm phasing out of that now, but it's been a wonderful ride. You're phasing out into what? More uh, activism for alternative education or? (laughs) That is an open question at this moment, Jason. For the last year, I've been working really hard on this book and and writing still calls to me. Running trips is feeling, uh, it's losing its luster a bit. So I'm open to new possibilities at this moment. Cool. Yeah. Up to this point, Dan, I'm wondering what has made you dedicate so much time and effort in your life to promoting alternative education? I mean, taking kids around the world, all the stuff that you've done. I mean, you've you've written other books on this topic and it sounds like this book's maybe the culmination of all of your years of adventures and research and on the ground experience with alternative education. But why why? Like you could put your time into any cause or any sort of movement or any type of business. Why did you dedicate so much to, to this? It's for the money, Jason. There's so much oh, money yeah. in alternative education. Yes. We all know how well teachers are paid. And, <laughs> and, and that's the conventional education system. There's even less money to be found in the alternative system. So there's a couple ways I can answer this question. Uh, the last time I was on your podcast, I gave you the sort of life story. I had this moment in college when I discovered the alternative education world. I was thinking about being a high school science teacher. But I think uh, I'd like to focus on this summer camp where I went as a kid and where I worked when I was in college and just after college. It's a little family-run wilderness camp near Lake Tahoe, California, called Deer Crossing. And something that happened at that camp was uh, I got to help run a teen leadership program that was four weeks long. And it was just for a small group of teens, anywhere from four to 10 teens. Um, And I witnessed radical transformation that happened in the course of just four weeks. And that was really a a pretty pivotal experience for me in getting to help facilitate that also. It made me realize that you can really shift a young person's life uh, in not too much time. If you create the right circumstances, you create the, the right kind of supportive environment, but you also challenge them. And you let them face real-world obstacles. And at this camp, those included obstacles like trying to learn really hard outdoor skills, like how to roll a canoe, um, excuse me, roll a kayak. It's very difficult to roll a canoe. Um, Or teaching. These teenagers would teach the younger campers outdoor skills and help lead trips. And so that was something that I saw. These teens were so engaged. And back in school, I remember so many teens were disengaged. I was one of the the successful students in school, and yet I was highly disengaged for so much of my time there. It just felt like a a large waste of time. There was so much bureaucracy. There was so much group work that felt forced. You know, the assignments were were inane. And so creating some sort of more experiential opportunity for young people uh, to learn, to grow, to build community, uh, that's what I learned at this camp, Deer Crossing. A lot of this is going to pertain to travelers, of course. I mean, I think now with everything that's going on with the pandemic more than ever, I mean, a lot of people, obviously, almost everybody was thrown into homeschooling and, and, and many might say, I'll, no, okay, no. all right, correct. let's get me, get me straight then. Why don't you give us the, oh, yeah. the, the, the educated facts so I'm not uh, just this ignorant <laughs> podcast host talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well... Uh- I think if we all decide to say that 
what is happening right now due to coronavirus is homeschooling. We're going to give homeschooling a really bad rap. And it's really inaccurate, too, because even homeschoolers are not homeschooling right now. There are homeschooling families who say, because of all these restrictions, I cannot take my family to the park days to hang out with other homeschoolers. We can't go to libraries, museums, field trips. Like Those are all integral components to the lives of actual homeschoolers as I know them, and unschoolers and world schoolers. And so what's happening right now is more like mandatory remote schooling. It's really the worst version of homeschooling that I can imagine because the parents have little control, the kids have little control, the parents are in this novel situation where a lot of them have to stay at home. There's no childcare available. Everyone's stressed out. Uh, the teachers in the in the public and private school systems don't know how to handle this very well, or it's very hit and miss. And so it's just a mess. It's not homeschooling in any way that we should use that term positively. Okay. I'm really glad you said that because I think that's what most people are assuming right now. Yeah. Yeah, that and this is think, a version of that, and if that's <laughs> if this is a version of that, I don't want any part of that. Right? That's right. That's right. There's a giant branding problem happening right now with homeschooling, and so when people say, "Do you think this is going to turn into some some big homeschooling movement in fall 2020?" I think actually I'm I'm a bit pessimistic on that. I think that the pendulum might swing in the other direction. To be honest, I do think that there will be some small sliver of families who have had to do the school at home thing because of the pandemic, who then think, wow, my kid's mental health was a lot better, our family relationships were better, or they got a, a window into their kid's classroom and they said, oh, this is kind of ridiculous, or there's not much real work happening here, or this is not what I thought school was like. And then maybe they will have a different opinion about sending their kids back to school once school does restart. Yeah, this is why I love talking to experts like you on on various topics and this specific topic because it is so easy to make these sweeping generalizations. As humans, I think we can just categorize broad things as, okay, this is happening, this is what this is. Um, homeschooling in general always got sort of a bad rap in the media, right? Or, or sort of this, uh, oh, like if you're a homeschool kid, you're, you must be weird in some way or something, or you don't have any social skills. Can you talk about some of the biggest myths and stereotypes around alternative education in general and maybe bust some for us? Sure. Well, I'll start with what you just mentioned, the awkward homeschoolers. I will be the first to tell you that there are some awkward homeschoolers out there. And you know what? If your kid is going to be severely bullied in school or is just not really going to fit in there because of their you know, innate personality traits, then maybe you are saving them some suffering by taking them out of school to homeschool them. And, and maybe that is a good thing in the long run. So, the, you know, there's cause and effect here. Does the homeschooling make the kid weird or do more weird kids tend to homeschool? And, if, you know, if it's the, the latter case, then maybe it's, it's totally fine if they're not in school for a bit. Uh, the socialization myth is one that any parent who, you know, takes two steps into the homeschooling world learns to dismiss pretty quickly. And it's for the same reason that I alluded to earlier, which is that homeschoolers tend to be highly social and outgoing. And they're out in, you know, unless you are really isolated, you know, there are communities of homeschoolers to find. There are activities, there's online and offline stuff. There's all sorts of things that your kids can get involved in. And of course, it's up to the family to decide whether to get involved in that or not. But overwhelmingly, those opportunities are there. And so it's not like a kid will be forced to be unsocialized if they're homeschooled. That being said, 
Have you ever heard of the book Educated by Tara Westover? It's a best-selling memoir. No. Okay. It's a fantastic book. It was published just a few years ago. And it tells the story of uh, a young woman, Tara, who was homeschooled by her you know, fundamentalist kind of Mormon family. Like even within their, their fundamentalist sect, like this family was considered a far outlier. And the kids have to you know, really stay at home and not have contact with anyone else. They are forced to work on their dad's scrapyard and endure like kind of horrible injuries. The family doesn't believe in modern medicine. So there's, they get in car accidents and never go to the hospital. And so there are stories like that. And sometimes, you know, these crop up in the major media and people say, this is what homeschooling is about. And there was actually an article by a Harvard professor that uh, came out just a few months ago that said, we should ban homeschooling because it allows uh, for, you know, certain child welfare uh, problems to crop up. And of course, the homeschooling world just jumped on that professor. And anyways, I don't think that's ever actually going to happen here in the U.S. But in other countries, homeschooling is much more legally tricky to do because um, because people do fear this possibility of, of a young person not having any other sets of eyes on him or her. And so there's a whole like child welfare argument there. So I just wanted to bring that up because I know that that oftentimes the defenders of homeschooling don't want to talk about that less savory side of the movement. But uh, in my knowledge, that is a very, very minor part of what homeschooling could be. And we have to compare apples to apples. Uh, at public school, there are abuses that happen too. You know, kids get molested or verbally abused or, you know, bullied. Uh, so there's all sorts of bad things that happen. We want to minimize all the bad things. Uh, but I had to put that out there, uh, for your listeners. I think homeschooling by and large is a positive thing and it allows a huge amount of variety in, uh, educational approaches. Uh, like I told you before, there's unschoolers, there are world schoolers, there are people who do, you know, all sorts of different things and it's all under the legal umbrella of homeschooling. So okay. that's how we should look at it. It's, okay. it's an empowerment device. Which of those alternative education types that you just mentioned would be best, in your opinion, for travelers that are taking their kids around and maybe living nomadically and, and traveling around with them? Whether it's slow travel or quick travel, doesn't yeah. really matter. Your family unit traveling around. Um, this is a selfish question for myself, too. But, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the key word is, is world schoolers or world schooling. And that is something that has really taken off in the past 10 years. And if you search on Facebook, there are lots of groups. If you just search online for world schooling and then insert country name here, you will often find gatherings of families who are doing exactly that. They're traveling around with their kids, either fast or slow. I think slow travel is actually more uh, commonplace. You know, families being in two or three different countries in one year. And especially if you go to places like Mexico in the winter or you're going to, uh, I don't know, the European countries in the summers, that is when you are much more likely to find other families kicking around. And they are excited to meet up with you. And so there is this, this large and growing decentralized network of world schooling families out there. And all of them, or at least as I understand, most of them do use the homeschooling laws to make that life possible for themselves. And, and a lot of these families are based out of the U.S. or Canada, where homeschooling laws are much more relaxed. Hmm. So if somebody were interested in pursuing world schooling, they would have to 
check out their local homeschooling laws first because it's all under that umbrella and understand those. Yeah, your, your kid needs to be under some jurisdiction. There are compulsory education laws everywhere. But for example, if you are from California, there is no requirement for you to do anything. You sign a single piece of paper, digital paperwork and you say, okay, I've declared my home to be a private school. My kid attends my private school. My kid Hey man, we're in California, lot. man. We're gonna there teach our go. kids. I'm <laughs> Sorry, I'm doing the the California stereotype now. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, California, Texas, lots of other states. There is essentially uh, no hoops to jump through. If you're in a place like Pennsylvania, New York, there will be a few more hoops. Like your kid might have to take a standardized test every few years and score above the 33rd percentile to prove that they have learned some things. But really. It's it's pretty easy and hands off. And so, yeah, your kid can be ostensibly homeschooling in California when really you're in Spain for a few months, you're in Colombia for a few months, you're yeah. in Thailand. That's what a lot of families do. Yeah, I need to see what the laws are here in Norway because it seems like it's pretty strict for some different reasons. But yeah, you're, you're going to be the first phone call I make when, uh, <laughs> Good. when, we're, when the know, travel thing opens up again. There, there are homeschoolers in Norway. I know that it's legal there. It's much better than Sweden. Yeah, <laughs> I heard it's illegal <laughs> in Sweden, so I got, I got a little worried there. I'm gonna uh, turn you into a, a bit of a futurist right now, I guess, looking at where the world may be going and relating that back to alternative education. And, and this goes for adults too. Frankly, I mean. I think you and I are both of the same mindset where we're always trying to learn and grow as humans. And that's that whole mentality of alternative education. I mean, it can easily be applied to adults, I think, as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and maybe how that ties in with what what some of the future trends might be uh, in terms of, of the world and, and remote work. Like, why should people take their kids out of school? Why should alternative education be strongly considered? How is that going to benefit adults or children in the future? Yeah, I'm not much of a futurist, but I'll do my best, Jason. <laughs> so to your first point, there is a parallel here with adult careers. And my friend Ken Danford, who runs a really cool center in Massachusetts called North Star, he made this analogy to self-employment. He said that you know, choosing to take a self-directed learning path is a lot like becoming self-employed as an adult. And I think that a lot of the same empowerment and also anxiety can come with that path because you are giving yourself a lot more freedom and a lot more responsibility to figure out. Do you, do you agree path. with that? I do. Yeah. I do. I think that's a very apt analogy. And so if you go into homeschooling, unschooling, if you go into, you know, if you sign your kid up for an alternative school where they have a lot more freedom to choose their own path, uh, the kid will have those freedoms, but just like a self-employed person, they're going to often wonder what to do with that freedom. And they're going to say, well, no one's telling me what to do tomorrow. I have to figure this out for myself. Sometimes they will figure it out. Other days they will not figure it out. And you'll see your kid floundering and seemingly doing nothing in the same way that, you know, I'm a self-employed person. I bet if there's some little camera following me around oh, that, goodness. you know, and somebody was watching and reporting on what Blake did every day as a self-employed person, that, that reporter would say, it looks like he's doing 
nothing or nothing that I can discern has a direct relationship to his. Oh no, that that never happens. No, we never (laughs) flounder around and do nothing on particular days. That was like my whole yesterday, basically. Right. (laughs) So, so there's a lot of figuring out what the next steps are, just like with self-employment. And so if you sign your kid up for some alternative educational path, then that's something you have to prepare for as a parent, observing your kids seemingly doing nothing. And also, as a young person, you have to, uh, I'd say, first of all, don't think of it as something you do totally by yourself. Just like self-employed people, if you think, I need to do everything for my business. I need to code the website. I need to do the QuickBooks, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You are quickly going to get burnt out and you're going to do a bad job at everything. And so young people do need support. They need guidance. They need non-parental adults as part of their life. They need peer groups. Uh, you know, we can't just set a kid down in front of a computer and say, educate yourself. Like that will work for some things. And there are some kids who want to learn coding and they can take themselves very far. But education is, is a big process. It's a lifelong process. But I think that if you choose a self-directed path, it really does lend itself to what the 21st century world of work is headed toward. And my favorite person to, who's a, a real authority on this matter is the author Daniel Pink and his book Drive and A Whole New Mind. I mean, those books are more than a decade old now, but they are still totally on point. And uh, the fact that there's going to be more, more remote work now, especially with the pandemic uh, situation, means that people need to be able to manage themselves more. You need to be able to, to do distributed work, uh, use your, your internet, use your computer really well. That's the kind of stuff that young people do naturally nowadays when you give them more freedom to take charge of their education, their educations. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the myths that you might've just busted is this idea of you sitting your kid in front of the computer screen for six hours and, and everything's online or something, because that's the opposite of what I would want them to experience. Like, you know, the screen time thing is going to be a battle in and of itself. So, I mean, it sounds like what you recommend is a, it's, it's a mixture of things, right? Like I, like when I, when I think alternative education in my head, like I have some ideas, but because I haven't lived it, it's all just sort of this, yeah, this sort of amalgamation of like, it's like a movie, right? Like where I've seen like different scenes of a vignette being played out, but I don't know what exactly it is yeah. Yeah. on a day to day basis. So it's lots of different things, but let me try to draw out some general principles for you here. Um, So in my book, in the third chapter, I talk about work versus play. And in the alternative education world, there's this very popular meme, which is if you just let kids play, they will learn everything that they need to become successful uh, people. Like kids are are built to play. And I think that that is a true argument for young children. And young children uh, socialize through play. They gain new skills through play. They develop their bodies through play. That's all true. But I've worked more with adolescents, teenagers, and it's a different story once you get to a, a surly adolescent. And so, as I describe in the book, uh, we have to take a different viewpoint when we're thinking about how kids transition into adulthood because this argument of unlimited play tends to lose uh, its, I don't know, it, it doesn't seem as applicable anymore when you're talking about a 16-year-old. Okay, so I say that what we need to do is we need to look at uh, different metrics. We need to look at Three things, engagement, boredom, and stress as the real way of figuring out whether a kid is doing well in school or doing well in whatever educational path they might be in. 
And so if a kid is highly engaged, if the stress that they feel is of the, the positive variety, so sort of like if a kid you know, signs up to perform in a school play and they really want to do a good job and they, you know, for intrinsic reasons, that's a positive form of stress. But if a kid is being beaten down by homework every night, uh, you know, or heavy parental expectations to get into a really good college, that's a toxic form of stress. So you want the stress to be the, the right variety, not too much of it. And then finally, boredom. You know, I felt so bored in school. If we can minimize that, then, then wonderful. Um, high engagement, low boredom, and appropriate stress. Um, essentially, that is the recipe for choosing the direction to take your, your kid's education. And so homeschooling might work for some kids for a while. Going to an alternative school might work for some kids for a while. Going to a regular conventional school might be the best fit for your kid for a while. You know, the key word here is a while. Um, and then sometimes something that doesn't seem educational at all might be the right fit for your kid. And I, here in the book, I like to talk about gaming. And I think that there's a very good reason why kids gravitate towards games like Minecraft or Fortnite or The Sims. And these are places where kids can feel highly engaged, where they have positive stress, where they are not bored for a second. I was a big gamer myself when I was a teenager. Lots of video this and computer might be games. might a little biased here. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, no, the world of education has a lot to learn from the world of gaming because uh, you know, just imagine how few problems there would be in school if kids were engaged, if they weren't bored out of their minds. Because that just causes people, just like employees in the company, that causes people to do all sorts of stuff that makes life hard for everyone else. There are always some kids in the classroom who just want to you know, goof off, get attention, kind of spit in the soup, make life difficult for the teacher and for everyone else. If everyone really wanted to be in school, then school would be a different experience, but that's not what we have. So games are an example of something that are highly engaging to young people. And I think we can learn that there are game-like principles that can apply to almost any realm of, of learning or education. There's this wonderful book that was published uh, about eight years ago by Jane McGonigal, who's a game designer, and it's called Reality is Broken. And she does a wonderful job of explaining why games are so attractive, not just to young people, but to a lot of adults, too. And she draws from the world of positive psychology to explain that, uh, well, a, a game, first of all, is, has four characteristics. Games are things that have clear goals. Uh, there are clear feedback systems to let you know how you are moving towards the goal. Um, there are clear uh, obstacles towards that goal. And also, a game is voluntarily chosen. And so, if you think of golf, for example, if you didn't have any of those four characteristics, uh, golf would not be the same game. Like, if there's no obstacles to meeting your goals, if you could just walk your your ball over to the hole and drop it in, that wouldn't be much of a game. And if, if golf was mandatory, if we all had to do 10 hours of golf per week as part of our citizenship program or whatever, no one would like golf anymore. And so if you think about the things that are game-like in a kid's life, often it's not school because school is mandatory. Instead, it's something like the extracurriculars that make school meaningful for a lot of kids, like band or drama or mock trial or robotics or sports teams. That's the stuff where there are very clear goals, clear rules, 
feedback systems, and most importantly, it's voluntarily chosen. And so you said, I don't really know what alternative education looks like, Jason. What I'm trying to say here is that it looks like many different things, but most likely in a successful educational environment for a kid, whether we call it alternative or not, is going to be filled with these kinds of game-like activities, which are not necessarily video games. Video games just sort of prove the point, but they are highly engaging activities that kids choose, and there are clear rules and boundaries. They're working towards goals. They have a sense of control. That's what education is about. Thank you for giving me permission to go beat Legend of Zelda again <laughs> uh, and get back into that. I think one of the big uh, fears, at least for me personally, is, okay, how am I going to do all the things it takes to run my business and also educate a child? Well, don't think about doing it all yourself. Like, this is why homeschooling is really never going to be a great fit for everyone, because there are very good, logical, logistical reasons for homeschooling uh, to not work for families. And the main one is parents need to work. In the introduction to my book, I say, listen, the, re the real reason that schools exist, there are two reasons for it. The first one is schools are free childcare. Like, and that's a very important, I'm not trying to deride teachers. I'm not trying to say that schools shouldn't exist. I'm saying that, and we, and we have seen this with the coronavirus situation, that one of the main practical functions served by a school is that they take care of your kids so you can go get some work done. Like people don't, we have this, this great mythology around schools and public schools and how they, they craft the citizens of the world. That, that's something we all like to believe in, but fundamentally it's like, thank God I don't have to deal with my kids for the, the next seven hours so I can get some work done. The second reason is that schools serve a social welfare function. For a lot of families, uh, school is the one place where a kid is going to be you know, taken care of, they're going to be fed a warm meal, they're going to be safe for the day. And so that's a really important thing. We should never discard that. Like That's a historical development. We should never roll back um, that, that uh, yeah, shared belief that kids are important to take care of. So social welfare and babysitting equals the primary functions of school. If learning happens uh, in addition to that, that's a great thing. But really, most parents don't really care what's happening at school as long as their kid is safe and somebody else is watching them for seven hours. You know, it's like, oh, and they learn something too? Great. Uh, this is why I say schools are not for learning. Uh, if learning happens, it's, it's often incidental. But don't consider schools places of great learning. You, your kids can often learn much more in an alternative setting, if that's your priority. I wonder how controversial some of the things that you say are <laughs> in, in your world. You know, do you get a lot of pushback from people and how do you handle that? You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting some pushback. This book, I, I definitely go out on a limb more than I have in previous books. I've, I've been more preaching to the choir in my previous books. And this book, I wrote this for parents whose heads are still in the conventional education system, but they see that their kids are not doing well there, that their mental, mental health is suffering, that they're really not engaged, the stress is, is too much. And so I do expect to get some pushback, but I haven't received it yet. And really saying something like schools are about childcare and social welfare, if you just take a moment to think about it, it it's a fairly non-controversial statement. Uh, but yes, I do believe that because we all share 
this idea that that schools can be and should be this this great leveler, this great educator of all kids everywhere. I'm going to get some pushback and I have gotten a little bit of pushback too. Yeah. This is not fun stuff to hear from, for educators and, and other people who are highly invested in the school system. I'm not branding anything you say as controversial or anything like that, but I would imagine in some circles, I, I just like that you're very, your arguments are well thought out and that you stand behind them. And I, I always admire that when people like, aren't afraid to just say what it is that they really feel and also have the, educational backing to, to back it up, essentially. One term that you've mentioned a couple times that I haven't really thought about too much before is this idea of appropriate stress, because I think this is something that can obviously apply to any age. And I'm wondering when it comes to travel, what would be some examples of appropriate stress? I think we can tend to avoid things because they may be quote unquote stressful, but if you're categorizing stress as good or bad, you know, what are some things like in your experience, having traveled the world and been all over the place uh, with groups on your own? Yeah. What are some uh, things that we could maybe look at in a healthier way and understand them as appropriate stress as opposed to just stress that it's affecting us negatively? That's a wonderful question. So when I've taken teenagers on these international trips, I have often designed the trips in a way that not everything is easy. Now, when we often think of, of a, a group travel program, you think of uh, of some, you know, poor facilitator running around making sure everyone ha- has their needs catered to and that the, the hotel is perfect and the meals are on time. And like, I am not that person. I'm like, hey, kids, we're going to go on an adventure. Are you ready for that? I, I do Skype interviews with everyone before these trips. Got to make sure they're actually ready for it because you don't. If someone's mom signs them up for this trip and they don't know what they're getting themselves into, they think it's going to be a a highly catered trip. That's not going to work out well for anyone. So first of all, make sure you you know your audience. And so, yeah, I'll take a group to a foreign country and make sure that, you know, we get from the airport to the hostel. We, you know, everyone feels basically secure. They know how to contact the trip leaders if there's an emergency. Uh, And then I say, all right. what's next? And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, so only part of this trip is, is pre-planned and set up. There are large swaths. I mean, they know this before they show up, but there are large swaths of this trip that are up to you to decide and to figure out and design for yourselves. And once they, they really ingest that fact, they will often roll with it and they will go off and create their own little adventures. And sometimes those adventures don't work out. Okay, so the idea is a positive amount of stress is an adventure where failure is not a catastrophic event. And so oftentimes this means just getting lost in a foreign city. I I think that is a positive stress event uh, for a lot of teenagers and definitely the ones who I've worked with. And so I try to set that up as often as I can. And this makes me think of of some articles I read about Scandinavian countries and a, a sort of tradition that maybe it's in Denmark that they had of taking groups of kids around ages 11 or 12 and dropping them off in the woods, uh, like miles away from home, and then saying, okay, find your way back now. Like doing that purposefully as a sort of fun thing to do. And I, I just love that, that principle. Um, at that wilderness camp where I worked, Deer Crossing, there was a trip called the Ascent Trip, where young people were the ones 
who were planning a two-night, three-day backpacking trip in the wilderness. And there would be two uh, instructors like me, for example, who would follow the group through the wilderness, but we would just act as their insurance policy. And so we would be there in case somebody actually broke their leg, in case they actually got lost and were not able to get themselves back to camp before the trip was going to be over. And so the kids had this basic sense of security. They knew that they, if something really went bad, we were going to be there for them. But otherwise, if they took a wrong turn on the trail, which I saw so many times, they, I would say, so obviously you need to turn left on this trail. Just look at the map. And they would turn right on the trail. And they would go the absolute wrong direction for an hour before they figured out that they're doing that. And myself and the other instructor would just be quietly following them. And then they would say, all right, we want to go up that mountain. And they would take the, the route through all the bushes and trees. And I'm like, there is a granite ridge right there that we could be walking on. But I'd have to keep my mouth shut. And so, and so we let them experience um, small amounts of failure that were a byproduct of their desire to explore, of their desire to be autonomous, to do something for themselves. And I think one other principle that I've learned is that suffering is so much easier when it's done with friends. And so uh, teenagers, you know, if they're doing something as a group, uh, then the suffering is often fun. And if you're trying to get a teenager to do something by his or herself, it's often just suffering. And so suffer with friends. There, mm. There's a good tagline. <laughs> suffer with friends. That sounds like a good tagline for any adventure. Uh, you yeah. must be a very patient man. I would imagine, you know, walking an hour in the wrong direction, not saying anything. <laughs> you know, I don't know if patience is more important than just having a sense of humor about it. Yeah. Sort of, you know, this is funny in a cosmic sense. Right. And, <laughs> well, I mean, isn't that if you have that attitude when you're traveling, doesn't that just make everything better almost immediately? I, right? I completely agree. Yeah. And so uh, yeah, taking groups out there and imagining that that not everything is going to go well that not everything is going to go as planned. Just having that as your presupposition and being able to laugh about it. Uh, I had a group, we were doing part of the Camino de Santiago, the, the Camino del Norte in Spain. And we were just starting two weeks of hiking on the Camino. And on, on the first day, uh, the teens were kind of goofing around on this, this little ruin up on a hill. I probably shouldn't have let, let them be goofing around on a ruin for the record. But one of them just was still wearing his backpack and he hopped off just down one step, literally. And so this wasn't like some big jump, but I heard this sickening, like cracking sound and he, he twisted his ankle, you know, big pop. And, and so that was day one of 14 days of hiking. And this kid has just taken himself out of commission. So it's up to me and my co-leader and our trip assistant to figure out how are we going to get him you know, how are we going to keep them with the group? Are we going to take one of our trip leaders completely out of commission and they're just going to go sit in, uh, you know, San Sebastian for two weeks? Not the worst place to be marooned, but... Uh, no. um, I've been marooned we, there before, slept outside of the uh, <laughs> train station there. <laughs> not a bad place yeah, to hang. Not, not bad, <laughs> yes. But uh, we figured out that there is enough public transport in, in the Basque country that we could piece together uh, trains and buses, and sometimes taxis. And we were able to shuttle this kid from our starting and finishing points of each day's hike for the next week until his ankle had recovered and he was able to join us again walking. And so that was an adventure for our entire group, for the trip leaders, 
for the teenagers, for the kid who is now taking, you know, trains and everyone's speaking to Scotty. And, you know, he's like, whoa, this is this is different for me, too. And so it's that sense of like openness and like, let's figure it out and let's have a sense of humor about it. I think that there's a lot of overlap between self-directed learning and the art of, of independent travel. What have you learned about yourself through all of your experiences over the last years? I mean, just that's just one small example of like, wow, the, the amount of things that can happen in the field running these trips. And, you know, I, I know having been a group leader for not uh, teens, but like there are certain things you have to just kind of, yeah, in the moment, you got to make a lot of decisions and, and fast. And there, there's a lot that it can happen to you internally when you go through these types of experiences. So I'm just curious if, for you as an individual, having been around uh, running these trips for teens and, and alternative education, all your work, how has it changed you as a person? You know, I don't know if it has changed me as a person, Jason, to be honest. I, I mean, sure. Well, think about you like the day before you started Unschooled Ventures, like you registered the domain and you yeah. now, <laughs> let's say. Yeah, well if you run a lot of trips or if you just do a lot of travel yourself, you know, you gain experience. And so you can avoid certain common mistakes. You can feel less stressed out by, by certain common situations. But again, in, in terms of, of changing me, I, I don't know if there's a good answer for that, but I, I'm going to give you a slightly different answer, which is that I have discovered that anytime that I have attempted to run a trip because I think it's a good like business opportunity, or because I think that it's a popular area to go to. Essentially, if I start running trips for more externalized reasons and not for the reason that I think this is an incredible place and I have weird personal interests in going to this place for my own inscrutable reasons, you know, if I don't think that, that I am going to have a good time on this trip, then often the trip doesn't go that well. Like I need, I, there needs to be a certain amount of rational selfishness involved for me as a trip leader. Because if I am super excited about going to a place, for example, when we took a group to Nepal, I had never been to Nepal before. And I, had to, I wanted to go to Nepal for so long. And those teenagers, they could feel my, my sense of enthusiasm and my sense of wonder. Like the first time we, we went to the, the Bodanath Stupa, outside of Kathmandu, I was like, holy crap, this place is incredible. And everyone's circling around it. And, and like that sense of, of excitement and awe and curiosity is palpable. And I think this applies to parents who are traveling with families. I think this applies to couples who are traveling together or even just solo travelers. Like anytime we fall into that lonely planet vortex or we start scrolling on Instagram and just kind of let other people, you know, of course, we need to get inspiration from somewhere. I, I appreciate Lonely Planet. But like once travel turns into this experience of just checking off boxes, it's like, of course, we have to go to Machu Picchu because we're in Peru. When I took a group to Machu Picchu, it was like the worst experience we had on that entire trip to South America. It was it was like Disneyland. I, I never want to go back to Machu Picchu again. I'm sorry if I sound a little snotty for saying this, but it was just... Uh, we went there not because any, not, okay, I, I had no super big interest in going to Machu Picchu and my other trip leaders didn't. And we were just doing it because it's sort of the thing you have to do. 
as soon as you're doing the thing you have to do, it, it, travel, life, education, like it all overlaps here, Jason. Mm. It's like, that's when trouble starts. <laughs> that is a wise bit of uh, advice and thinking, I'd say, right? Like, <laughs> a, oh, this is the thing we have to do. Uh-oh. The sirens, the, the, the alerts are going off. <laughs> Be careful. Um, I mean, th- that's why the title of my book is Why Are You Still Sending Your Kids to School? It's just this giant assumption that you have to send your kids to school. Even if they hate it, you have to keep doing it. And so I just want to at least question that assumption. Yeah. I mean, it's so important to question assumptions, right? I mean, it's, it's very easy to not do it because a lot of things are almost accepted as fact just you you just do because there's a lot to filter as a human there's so much stuff going around but it's like if you literally question everything it's kind of incredible what can open up in terms of perspectives and conversations you can get even even in the in the search bubbles that we can all get caught in like our little you know uh, echo chambers online we can get out of those if we start questioning these assumptions and and looking at them differently i want to ask you about some places because it sounds like you you have some eclectic taste when it comes to travel. So I do want to pick your brain on that. Uh, before we get into that, I just want to ask you about making an impact because you've clearly, at least in my opinion, what I see, you've made a big impact uh, with your work. You've made your dent in the universe. You're making your dent in the universe, as they say. Or as I guess I Steve Jobs said, did he say that? Is he the one that said that? Anyway, I'm curious because if there are people listening right now that are in the midst of some projects that are near and dear to their hearts or some uh, movements or causes, or maybe they're thinking about, well, how can I make an impact on X, Y, or Z? You know, you've been able to do that over time. And I'm just wondering what advice would you give people who are looking to make an impact in some way with their work? Sure. Well, I'll Big just question, conti- I know. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was prepared for this. Uh, I'll just continue on the, the theme we were just on, and I think that it needs to feel like an adventure for yourself somehow. Like, in, in imp- yes, you can make an impact. You can design your life around saying, I'm going to make a social impact. I'm going to change the world somehow. But again, a, a little bit of rational self-interest and say, and, and I'm going to attempt to make this impact while I'm having some fun. And I'm going on an adventure. I think it's the only reasonable way for your energy levels to be sustained over a long period of time. And that's what's worked for me with the travel company. It's also worked for me with the books. Uh, Each one of these books that I've written has felt like a big old experiment and an adventure in itself. Uh, I never wrote the books to make money and I haven't made that much money from the books. But it's been this fun side project when I've been taking these kids to trips, you know, when we're in Peru or something, I've often been spending my free time in the cafes writing my book on my laptop while the kids are off getting lost in Cusco. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's my short answer to your question, Jason. Good question. Tough one. That's a lot of work to be running a group and then taking your free time when you're probably pretty tired to write. I mean, are you, do you consider yourself, uh, is writing one of your, big passions or is it more of like a oh i have to do this because it gets my ideas clear and it's a way i can kind of make it well it's both it's both you know when you get your ideas clear when you have this muddled thing in your head and then you get those words down on on paper proverbial paper yeah like that is such 
a liberating experience. Like just to see a few sentences that make sense uh, to me, that that's a real pleasurable experience. And so my answer is yes to both of your questions. It's been said that everybody has a book in them. You could, took a different approach to publishing this book because you did a Kickstarter, right? To self-publish it. Do you want to share any, do you have any advice to share on that? And if somebody's looking to crowdfund a, a project like this? Sure. I guess the advice is pretty similar to general startup advice, which is you can have a great idea, but if you don't have an audience, then it's dead in the water. And so I spent, I did spend a lot of time crafting this Kickstarter campaign. The goal was $10,000. It ended up getting to $14,000, which was great. It covered all of my expenses and more for creating this book. But I, most of my time preparing for this went into going through all of my emails and finding like any time I've been in contact with anyone who might be sympathetic to this Kickstarter campaign. And I just sent out a bajillion emails and a lot of them were, were personalized. You know, this was not some spammy blast because that just doesn't work that well. And I've also spent a lot of time writing a monthly email newsletter. And so having that audience too, which has been built up over many, many years was really crucial for making the Kickstarter work. So so if you want to do a crowdfunding campaign, the work starts, you know, three years ahead of time when you are building up an audience of people who are going to give a damn about your Kickstarter and your project. Great advice. Let's talk places, destinations. What are some of those uh, that you kind of mentioned that fall into the category of, you said it like, I like, well, hey, these are places people go, but I like to go to these types of places. Like, what does that mean to you? What types of places do you like to travel to? What places have you been where maybe that you would consider sort of hidden gems? We can label them as such. Hidden gems, yeah. Well, my two favorite countries to spend time in historically are Argentina and New Zealand. I've been to Argentina seven times, New Zealand four times. Last year, I spent four months living on the South Island of New Zealand in Wanaka, which is this magical little mountain slash lake town. And uh, and so, you know, these are not necessarily hidden gems. I just think that, well, let me put it a different way. I think in, instead of thinking like, this place will always be a gem, uh, it's really like, what is, is this place's moment right now? Because you can go to Costa Rica today and it's a much different place than Costa Rica in 1980. You can go to Argentina today. I'm not sure if you should go to Argentina at this moment. Um, and it's much different from Argentina in 2008 or 2002. And so I think that there are no permanent gems. Instead, there, you have to do this continual research and read travel blogs and talk to people who do a lot of travel to figure out, is this the right moment to go to this place? Um, so I, I've been back to, to some places uh, when they are in a good moment and some places when they're in a bad moment or just, the, you know, they're overcrowded. It's, you know, it's Machu Picchu. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think people can get locked into a destination because of a specific site or just a feeling of reading about it, always wanting to go there, but then adding in the, the question of is the moment the right moment now to go there or, you know, it's hard to know when the right moment is, but uh, it's, it's a question I think worth considering. Um, what were you doing in New Zealand? Where were you living? Were you working there, working on your book? What were you? Yeah. So I was in that town, Wanaka, which is just a, a tiny little 
beautiful outdoorsy town, a lot of tourism. And I, I had actually gone down to New Zealand to do some long distance hiking on this trail they have called the Te Araroa, which oh, yeah. is like the Pacific Crest Trail of New Zealand. I've interviewed somebody and, who did it. It's pretty intense. Oh, awesome. Well, yeah. that is a hardcore person. For yeah, sure. And, it's intense. And I, I, I only did a few sections of it and I deliberately chose to do one of the harder sections as my very first one, uh, something called the Richmond Range on the South Island. And oh man, I was not prepared for that. I've done a lot of backpacking in the Sierra Nevadas in California, which is pretty nice and, and easy and gentle. And this was just a kick in the butt, uh, a slap in the face sometimes. I remember walking along a creek and the, the trail was just like this tiny little like almost deer path alongside a 45 degree sloping uh just nightmare and i was like thank god i have trekking poles why am i doing this by myself thank god it's not about to rain i was like this is hardcore so long story short i ended up doing less hiking than i anticipated i settled down in wanaka for a bit and that's where i wrote the first draft of the book okay that's pretty cool place to do it it sounds like um, i got into acro yoga there they have a wonderful acro yoga community i'd never heard of acro yoga before and i'm a big fan of it now is that where two people are doing working yeah, together like, acrobatically like it, yeah acrobatic partner you know yoga there, you can actually kill the word yoga because it's not really part of it but if you ever see someone like laying down in a park with their legs up and somebody else is on top of them kind of flying and balancing that's yeah. acro yoga that sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. So you are not based anywhere right now. So, I mean, I'm talking to you. I should let people know you're in a van. You're calling this your co-working <laughs> space uh, in in rural Colorado, right? But I mean, are, have you been, do you have a base anywhere? Have you, how long have you not had a base? What's your story? Man? Yeah. 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 For the record, I, it's outside my friend's place and I'm staying with my friend who runs a gap year program. And so I'm sort of like a uh, honorary guest of this gap year program uh, for a few months while the pandemic is happening. Cause I was on a cross country bike trip, you know, no home base at the moment. I was, I was biking. I started in New York city, uh, uh, February 2nd, not exactly a great day to start a bike trip, but it was the time that I was given and biked down the East coast and took some trains also to, to skip ahead and then biked the Gulf coast uh, from Florida to New Orleans. And then, all the pandemic stuff. Have you done a back. bike trip like that before? No. How no. did you like that? Bike touring is nice. I, you know, I haven't experienced bike touring with camping yet. I was always going from like a place where I could sleep in a bed to a place where I could sleep in a bed. And so I did, I guess, kind of like the more posh version yeah, of it. But you can travel I, lighter and that's nice. Too. Yeah. I, I had everything I needed on the back of my bike, two panniers and one little backpack bungee corded on top. And that includes having my laptop with me and, a, you know, respectable amount of clothing. So I was a big fan of it. And you know what? Couch surfing is a wonderful network. Warm showers, which is like couch surfing, but just for bicycle tourists, is a wonderful network. And so I stayed with some friends, but I stayed with a lot of total strangers. And when they hear that you are on a bike trip, they love having you. They love hearing your stories. You know, I had so many people cook dinner for me. Uh, it, it was pretty magical. Yeah. Just being on an adventure like that opens up a whole other set of travel experiences and conversations right. that certain other types of travel will not, right? I mean, there's not going to be the person running up to you in the hotel lobby, the fancy hotel lobby, be like, hey, well, come back home with me. I'll cook you dinner. 
<laughs> it's no, just like never <laughs> not going to happen. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't have a home base, Jason. I, I am thinking about relocating to Germany. I do have some roots in California. And so uh, I'm not going to be a nomad forever. I've, I've done the nomad thing for a solid 15 years now. Wow. And you I've have really, not had a base really for 15 years. It. Uh, I had but a temporary here and base there, for but... a, here and there, but, but really I haven't lived in one place for more than six months yeah. since I finished college in 2004. Wow. Nomad life. It's uh highly recommended or, uh, you're at the tail end of it now. It sounds like, but yeah. Well, who yeah, do you think I... it's right for? Who do you think it's not right for? Uh, I think it's right for people like me who have this, this just insatiable lust for, for novelty. And, and as soon as you stay in one place for too long, you feel a bit claustrophobic. And when I say like me, like that's who I was in my twenties for sure. And that's been tapering off in my thirties and, you know, different priorities. There are different experiences that you cannot easily have when you're being mega nomad, uh, you know, Committed relationships are a lot more difficult. Feeling a, a, a geographic sense of place is a lot more difficult. And those are experiences I do want to have in my life. And that's what I'm building towards now. But I'm so glad that I spent 10, 15 years going hardcore on, on the vagabond, nomad, no home base life, spending very little money on rent, uh, spending a good amount of money on plane tickets and uh, definitely no, no regrets. You know, I, I don't want to feel trapped somewhere thinking, oh, if only I had the chance to go and, and live a more free life. It's like, no, I've lived a more free life. And now I feel like I can enter into the world of commitments with yeah. with an open heart. I can relate to that, man. And that's a wonderful place to be. I mean, you know, being here now, you know, based in Oslo with two kids, it's like, I, I get asked sometimes, like, but do you feel like, you know, tied down? I was like, well, no, like, I'd, I'm not like I lived the nomad like it's not like i wouldn't go traveling again that extensively i i don't know what the future will bring i can imagine certainly doing that again but i don't feel like i'm uh it's not like oh this all happened when i was you know 22 and i i, and I feel like i missed out on on living the travel life i wanted to live like i've you can't see it all but you've done it right like you feel it sounds like you're in a very good place and similar kind of like you've you've done this, you've had this experience. Now it's time for a new adventure. And it sounds like you're going not yet because you're promoting this book, but maybe there might be some new adventures on the horizon in terms of entrepreneurship and what you sink your teeth into next, perhaps. Is that fair to say? Are you getting completely out of, is this like your opus to (laughs) alternative education? And like, have you been thinking about it that way? And now it's like, this is kind of the last bit and now you're going to move into something new or. Yeah, I'm going to go become a, a line cook. I'm going to make really good cheeseburgers. That's going to be the second half of my life. I'm going to, I'm going to create art in that way. Um, you know, I, I don't know, Jason, a lot of magic happens just by virtue of sticking around long enough. And I think I've stuck around the alternative education world and it's, it's really paid off. I have some wonderful friends, contacts, uh, and that is, that's something real, but to say that I know what's coming next year would be a lie. And so I, I'm open to opportunities. Hey, listeners out there, you want to collaborate with me on something? Send me an email. You know? <laughs> maybe maybe it'll happen. So we'll see. Congratulations on, on the book. It, give people, uh, again, just give them the, uh, the one-on-one and where they can find you and the book and all that good stuff. Sure. Uh, 
My name is Blake Bowles, B-O-L-E-S. And if you go to blakebowles.com, you can find everything, the book, my other writing, my podcast, uh, stuff about my trips and my other little weird projects that I like to put out there. And otherwise, the book is on Amazon and should be available through local booksellers too. Please tell me we'll get to do one of these in person at some point. Hey, I'll tell you what. I'll come out to Germany. You're in Oslo. We'll meet in Amsterdam and we'll do something in person. I mean, I'm I'm voting for the for the German the Germany relocation project. That's huh. that gets you closer over here to this side <laughs> of the pond. Maybe that'll happen. Always a pleasure chatting with you, Blake. And uh, yeah. I wish you the best of luck with the book. I wish I had time to read it before we had this chat, but um, I I only got to skim through it. But I am excited to read it properly because this is something being a father too that I'm right in the midst of right now because I'm uh, like you a little more unconventional maybe in my thinking and, and lifestyle choices. You're bringing up some pretty important issues with this book and you can make a, a big impact as we talked about in a lot of people's lives. So uh, I just wanted to give you mad props, I guess, as they would say back in the, would they say that back in the nineties? <laughs> I don't know. I'm giving you mad props for, uh, for what you, <laughs> it's a, it's a very educational term. This isn't like one of your interviews on your podcast with a professor from Harvard or anything. Right? I'm, just, I'm over here giving you mad props. It's quite a, a piece of work that you've, uh, a body of work that you put together. And this book is, a. Uh, seems to be the culmination of a lot of your your thoughts around that. So I'm really excited to dive into it a little bit more. And congratulations, man. And I will be hitting you up for more advice, I'm sure. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Thank you for those kind words. And it's always a pleasure talking with you, Jason. Cool. Take care. Bye. There you have it. I want to say thanks again to Blake for stopping by today's show and congrats on the book. It is available now where books are sold. So excited for him. What a project to put together and making a great impact on the world, helping people travel, you know, helping teens travel, helping kids open up their minds through travel and maybe some parents too uh, that had not considered traveling much before. Now their kids are traveling. It could be getting them out into the world a bit more. So, you know, travel makes the world a better place. I really do believe that. We will be getting out there again soon, folks. I know we're in uh, COVID time, but hey, listen, we've been through pandemics before as uh, human beings, and we've always traveled again afterwards. So keep uh, keep your travel hopes and dreams alive. Keep rocking on, my friend. I want to give a shout out to couple people in this community who are keeping keeping my dreams alive, keeping me excited about continuing to publish content here on the podcast, which I love to do and have been doing for, oh, I guess seven years now or something like that. So thanks again to everybody in this listening community, because without you all listening and hanging out, well, I wouldn't be talking to anybody but myself. So I feel you here. I really feel that your presence is here when I'm recording. So thanks, my friend. And I want to say thank you to Bill. This this gives me even a stronger, more uh, homey feeling uh, because he sent me, uh, I think I mentioned in the last show, hey, send me a picture of where you're listening. So Bill sent me an email. I said, taking in zero to travel on the neighborhood Greenway in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, a suburb of Nashville. Love the show. And he's got a, a good picture of his uh, beautiful smiling face. Looks like some gorgeous trees in the background. Looks like a nice morning 
in the Nashville area. So I love, I love that, man. I'm looking at your smiling face right now, Bill. So thank you so very much. And uh, if you haven't checked in yet, you can always send me an email, jason at zero to travel.com. I do read them all. If you somehow haven't heard back from me, I do apologize. My email inbox got buried at a certain point, but know that I read all of the emails that come in and I'm so grateful for every single one of you. So thanks, Bill. Uh, If you want to send me a picture, please do that. And I have to give another shout out here, another one that made my day. Every time I get your emails or I hear from you in any way, whether it's a review, an email, you guys, you don't know how much you make my day. So make a man's day if you got a couple minutes (laughs) and you like the podcast. Thank you so much, Brooke. Brooke. Brooke, I'm so happy for you. Uh, she, I, 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 I'm kind of blown away by the subject. She said, I've listened to every episode and we finally did it, is what her email said. Wow. She said, hey, Jason, first of all, thank you. I've been wanting to email you since the day we bought our plane ticket back in February 2019, but never did. Sorry. Your podcast and EPOP, it's my buddy Travis's podcast, got me through college. Seriously, I've never traveled growing up. Went to England twice, but that's it. We spent most of our time at the Jersey Shore, but always knew I wanted to travel. Fast forward, I met my now husband. He always shared stories about spending two years in Spain on a mission, and his two best friends, which are now my best friends, spent six plus months backpacking as well off and on after college. So needless to say, I was envious. So one day after hearing these amazing stories, while cramming for finals, I went to my husband and said, I don't care about my career or grad school or anything else. All I want to do is after college is travel. This this sounds familiar. <laughs> Brooke, this was me. <laughs> she goes on to say, so we booked our cheap one-way flight to Spain for December 9th, 2019. He told his boss he would be gone for four to five months. That was our plan, and I was planning on quitting my part-time because it wasn't anything serious. Uh, Goes on to say uh, she went to Poland, Jordan, Israel, Thailand, uh, Japan, and she goes on to say we had to stop our trip early due to COVID, sadly, but now I cannot stop thinking about it. Like, I really, really can't. I know this is normal, but it is hard. I graduated college with a degree in exercise and wellness. I'm also a certified personal trainer. I knew I would love traveling before even beginning. So I knew with my career, I wanted to be an online coach so I can work remotely. I'm still pushing through. Most days are hard, but I'm determined to push on with this dream. She goes on to say, I've been playing around with the idea of starting a podcast and she hopes one day of being able to host fitness slash travel retreats of some sort. So... Thank you, Brooke. Uh, I have no doubt with your determination and your desire, which is a huge why for uh, for yourself for wanting to travel, uh, can be a good motivator to follow through with those with those dreams that you have. You know, we can certainly help you out. As soon as I got your email, Brooke, I was thinking, oh, she would be perfect for our new Lifestyle Launch Academy. This is exactly what we do: is we can help you create a location-dependent lifestyle business that fits into your ideal lifestyle. So uh, if you want to learn more about that and just some other cool stuff we have going on, all you need to do is to sign up over at zerototravel.com and you're going to get the scoop on all the good stuff we're doing, whether it's our new academy, whether it's uh, just some free online events we're running to connect with the community, got some workshops coming up, bunch of cool stuff always happening. And you know, you can't get it just through the podcast. You have to be on our email list and be part of our community there. So if you keep putting it off and you're forgetting, go to zerototravel.com. Just sign up. Got some exclusive audio for you when you sign up that you'll get. You can find out about all this other cool stuff going on. So do that. Don't forget to do that. Okay. Well, that's another one. It's a wrap. Thank you, my friend, for sticking around. I'm going to reach into my 
little quote drawer, which I've been doing lately. And you can probably hear the paper shuffling around here. Pull out one of these suckers. Let's see. Leave you with a quote here. Hmm. This one's from Ajahn Moon Buharidatta, who said, People who aren't confused about virtue don't have to go looking or asking for it because they know that virtue exists within themselves. There you go. Leave you with that one. <laughs> Thanks for being here. We'll talk soon. See you next time. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality. 